Are you in a band? Are you an entertainment entrepreneur? Are you a musician, songwriter, or producer? Or are you wanting to start a career in the music industry? If so, then this podcast is for you. On the Do That Music Thing podcast, we'll be interviewing subject matter experts, artists, and other leaders in the music industry to identify actionable strategies to move you forward in your career, spark some inspiration, and at the least, just have some fun talking about music. So let's get to it and do that music thing. Good morning and welcome to another episode of the Do That Music Thing podcast, where we are talking with everyone in the music industry, the movers, the shakers, the people that are the tastemakers, anyone moving their careers forward and helping others move their careers forward. And today I have an incredible guest, the one, the only, the absolutely stylish Chris Keaton. Keep it coming. <laughs> Keep it coming. <laughs> Thanks for joining me today, sir. I appreciate it. Man, listen. You are so welcome, and as we say down south, thank you, thank you. Oh, I love it. Yeah, uh, b- uh, both of us um, have spent quite a bit of time in Nashville. Um. Yeah, uh, you know, I moved to Nashville in '93, and uh, it was in the Garth era, and it was like it was a gold rush. It really was. It was an amazing time to be there. The, the funny thing is, uh, you know, like when I moved. You could walk up and down Music Row and you could knock on somebody's door and it would be open and you could go right in and sit down and talk to them. I mean, it was crazy. And and that, and and as, as easy, although it really wasn't easy, but as easy as it was to get into people's office then, they would go, oh, man, in the 60s, late 60s or the 70s, you know, you'd see people on the street. People would play songs for each other on the street. You know, and it was just like, if you think about that, of course, you know, in the 50s and 60s, too, somebody would play a song for their publisher. The publisher would take it to a producer. It would get cut the next day. And then three weeks later, it was on the radio. You know, what a, what a cool time to have been around, right? Would that have been great? That would have been absolutely incredible. It's almost like in a weird way with the democratization of kind of like distribution and recording studios, it's kind of done to that, but with kind of come back to that but in a very independent way yeah so i i completely agree and i think to your point it is very much the same because in the 50s and 60s no one knew what the hell they were doing and now nobody knows what the hell they're doing anyway and 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 what i mean by that is a compliment to people because everybody is trying different things there's no one path to success there never really has been you know but even more so now, you know, it's, you know, you zig when other people are zagging, you, you know, you find, you just, you have to be aware. Well, that's, I think that's one of the beauties, the beautiful things about being in music is that there is no right way to do one thing and you can have 37, you know, irons in the fire, you know, like, like you, you are an award-winning music publisher. You're an artist management consultant. You have a history and touring, uh, recording, songwriting, publishing. I mean, you're even an author. Um, so you, you got a lot going on and you've had a lot going on. Well, I get bored very easily. That's the challenge. And I also get in trouble very easily. But if I'm busy, I'm not bored, nor do I get in trouble. So that's kind of the, the MO there. Um, but, you know, it's it's like... So I just finished this book by Matthew McConaughey. It's called Green Lights. 
And there's a lot of really cool stuff in there. But one of the coolest things in there is that he mentions that his mantra in life has always been, if, if an opportunity comes up, he's going to go give it a try because he doesn't want to get to the end of his life and go, you know, I sure wish I'd have tried that. So I guess that's kind of what I'm doing too. And in the other side of it is too, as, as I know that, you know, and other people who are listening, who, who are enlightened to it, God gave us, God gave us these gifts. And if, and for us to use them is to pay him back for the gifts. And if we don't use them, we're ignoring him at our own peril. So that's what I'm saying. Well, all of these things that you've done and that you're continuing to do, I want to start back at the beginning. I want to find out what your journey is and what brought you to where you are today. So let's go as far back as you want to go, and okay. let's, just, let's just walk through time together. Okay. All right, we're going to hold hands and skip down the calendar. Here we go. Okay. <laughs> February 9th, 1964, the Beatles were on Ed Sullivan. Uh, my brother and I were sitting in the floor at my grandmother's house in the living room watching the black and white TV. They came on. We're going crazy. My grandmother walks past us behind us and looks at the TV and says, they look like a bunch of monkeys. And I'm like, yes, ma'am, but aren't they cool? And she just kind of went harumph and walked on past. So we were smitten. I mean, at that point in time, I knew I wanted to be, even though the term wasn't available then, I knew I wanted to be a rock star. I wanted to be in a band. I wanted to play music. Formed a little neighborhood band a couple of years later. The deal then was I played piano. They already had a piano player. And I said, well, I'll just sing. And they said, no, we really want you to play an instrument. So I had my dad take me to the music store. We walk in the music store and he sees a trumpet. He said, there's a trumpet. That's pretty cool. And I'm like, mm, I don't think so. And then we walked by a saxophone and he looked at the sax and said, hey, saxophone, chicks dig sax players. And I'm like, let's get one of those. <laughs> so I started playing sax. But the, the deal with my dad was he said, I will rent that instrument for you, but you have to be in the school band so that you can learn how to play so I joined the school band uh, and then in high school was in bands. By the time I was 16, I was making a couple hundred dollars a week. I was able to buy my own car um, and then graduated high school, went to college for a year in Richmond, Virginia, Virginia Commonwealth University. They, because they had an, an applied music program, no music business programs existed back then. This was again in the 70s. I went to school for a year, then had the opportunity to go on the road with a guy named uh, Gary U.S. Bonds. He had three big hits in the early 60s, and every hit song had a sax solo. So in my mind, I'm thinking, hey, cool. I get on stage with him. I'll get nearly as much spotlight. We go on the road. A couple months into the gig, we get the opportunity to open for Frankie Valley in the Four Seasons. So now we go from playing, you know, 500-seat theaters to 3,500 seat theater. A couple weeks into that, Frankie's sax player gets sick. Frankie comes backstage and, and looks at me and says, hey, do you read charts? And I did like every young musician does. I lied to him and I said, of course I can read charts. I didn't have a clue. He said, well, great. Our sax player has had to go home. He's sick. He's sick. Do you want to sit in tonight? And I was like, okay, sure. 
I just kind of followed along and, 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 you know, made my way through it. And then he hired me. So I did doubles for the rest of the tour, 19 years old, you know, and it was like coolest thing ever. Then I played in regional bands in Virginia, North Carolina, toured the country, toured parts of the world, actually spent a month in Saudi Arabia. That's a whole other rabbit hole full of stories. And then I was in a beach music band in the southeastern part of the U.S. And through that band, I got inducted into the North Carolina Music Hall of Fame, which was like one of the most amazing things ever. Um, moved to Nashville in the 90s to be in the business. Um, actually, when I went, I thought, I'm going to move down there and be a record company president. The only problem was I figured out when I got there, those jobs had been taken already. And um, so I learned the music publishing business or pieces of it. And then, like Cowboy Jack Clement used to say, when all else fails, get lucky. And I got lucky. I was very fortunate in that business. And um, so, yeah. And then the latest chapter in 2015, when my health insurance carrier decided not to uh, offer health insurance to independent businesses. I was in Macy's buying a suit because I felt bad. And, and every time I would feel bad, if I bought a suit, it made me feel better. Talking to the manager, told him what was going on. He said, well, you should come to work with us. And I'm like, I don't know. What would I do? And he said, well, you could probably sell a lot of suits. And I'm like, I don't know. He said, well, we could help you with health insurance. And I was like, well, that's, yeah, okay. And he said, and then there's a discount. And I said, wait a minute, what do you mean the discount? And he told me what the discount was. And I was like, boom, sign me up. So I started working part-time for Macy's. And that embarrassment of me having to share with that manager how shitty my life was at that particular moment, that embarrassment has turned into an embarrassment of riches for me because my relationship with Macy's now is unbelievable. They are allowing me to do really great things on a national level. And it goes hand in hand with what I'm doing with the music business, too. So it's like, Christopher, let me share this with you. You are now talking to the most fortunate man on the planet. I'm telling you, I've been married a really long time. My wife is looking at me, smiling at me still after all these years. And our daughter loves me, too. So I got it made, man. I mean, life is good. That's my story. And she's my biggest fan, too. My wife's my biggest fan. I would expect nothing less. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, that's an incredible story. And one thing that I love about your story is that you see opportunity and you take the opportunity. You turn what could be a negative experience or a positive one. Maybe there's no defined outcome, but you turn it into a positive experience. Let's talk about that mindset for you. Yeah. You know, it's, you really did hit it on the head. I mean, I, Part of my being fortunate is I do show up in a room and, and something will be going on and somehow I understand it and am able to ask the right questions and typically good things come out of it. Um, between that and exercises I've learned over the years like visualization and meditating and just, you know, trying to get on that wavelength, if you will, not to get all woo-hoo here, but you know what? I mean, the reality is at any given moment, there are 3 billion bits of information floating around us all the time. 
We're only able to, to access about 15 of those, but if you can get 10 to 15 of those, you're really doing well. And, and that has always been my mindset. Um, funny, I, I got to share this. So just the other day in Nashville, you know, they just opened a Ferrari dealership. So I had to go visit, you know, I mean, why wouldn't I? And as I'm crossing the threshold going in there, I'm thinking I got a little bit of the twinge of that imposter syndrome of like, I don't know why I'm going in here. I can't afford a Ferrari right now. But I, I went ahead and went on in. So the receptionist in there said, well, let me connect you with a salesperson. Sales guy comes over and within the first three sentences, it turns out he's a Belmont grad. He's a music business guy. And we end up talking about music as much as we talked about Ferraris. So, you know, it's just, it's just funny how things happen like that. And it, if, like you say, if we're aware of those things, things tend to work out. Making the action. And really, you know, I think that's one of the biggest things when it comes to being successful, especially in the music industry, is almost kind of, it's taking action, yes, but letting those things happen to you. You said it best, right? You just let those things happen. Starting a conversation with someone, you know, building a relationship. For example, this is a, a, a good story where I used to be in a touring rock band and we, we kind of became the band that opened for a lot of the hair metal bands that came through Nashville. Mm -hmm. And we were fortunate enough to get a spot to open for uh, Queensryche and Striper. Incredible shows, but we became really good friends with uh, the stage manager at the time, Jill. and Jill Moody is her name. And we kept in touch consistently over the course of like one or two years, making sure that we could get on shows. She was great to us. Uh, we sent her flowers. Um, we just, she was a great human being. Yeah. Well, fast forward 12 years, 10 years. I joined NSAI, Nashville Songwriters Association International. And one of the first emails I get is this director of membership named Jill Moody. And we had this exchange. She said, Faust, question mark. And I reply, Moody, question mark. And we had this rekindling uh, about two years ago, and she was able to connect me with some of the best co-writers and writes that I think I've ever had in my entire life, one of them being a, a good friend of ours, uh, Bradley Collins. Nice. And never underestimate the power of a relationship. Yeah, true, true. And you know, I wish I could remember exactly who told me this the first time, but it's all about your network and it's all about maintaining that network because you never really know where business is going to come from and you never know which person is going to remember. And so, you know, and, and, and I guess the, that lesson goes also into the music business where somebody early on told me, always be nice to the receptionist because one of these days she or he could be in the C-suite upstairs running the company. And I've seen that happen. So, it, so everyone listening, it pays to be nice. Oh, a thousand percent. My grandfather, who was a huge impact uh, role model for me, came mm -hmm. from East Tennessee up in the mountains um, and built an incredible life. But he built that incredible life based on that principle alone. He said, 
you know, if you're going to be nice to someone, be nice to the people, the receptionists, the janitors, the, they're the ones that are on the ground floor. They're the ones doing the work. They're the ones that know where everything is. And they're the ones with the most opportunity to grow. Like, don't be inauthentic. Be nice. Yeah. It's an incredible thing. You know what it really is. And, and, and your grandfather really said it best. I mean, those are rules to live by. And, and if you can go through life doing that, you win. It's, it's really that simple, you know, and, and like your grandfather said, everyone, because whether they're a janitor or, you know, the president of the United States, it doesn't make any difference. They're still a human being. They're valuable to someone and you just need, you know, it's just the right thing to do, you know, and, and not saying that, that I have always been that way because I have been rude to people that I shouldn't have been rude to. I am quicker these days though, to, to pick up the phone or, or go see somebody and apologize because, you know, that goes a long way too, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, that kind of goes into another thing I want to talk to you about, and it's about the concept of providing value. Mm-hmm. I think that when you are a songwriter or when you are, you know, uh, an up-and-coming manager or executive, one of the best things that I think you can do in a room is, a, is provide value. And that can mean a lot of different things. For example, I have a background in digital marketing. When I go into a co-write, I don't typically divulge that information. However, if we're having a good co-write and we're talking about things back and forth and this other writer says, man, I really need to get a website or I really need to work on my content. That is a wonderful opportunity for, A, for me to help that person, but also to provide value to them. And that exchange of value is another thing that will go an incredibly long way. What do you, what do you think of that concept? No, I totally agree. And I, and I also agree that everybody has that value to present. And it's kind of like, it's kind of like being cool, right? So if you're cool, you don't have to tell people that you're cool. They'll know that you're cool. You don't have to bring it up. Cool is. Cool doesn't have to say I'm cool. Values the same way. You know, you don't necessarily have to put it out front as your calling card. But in the conversation, you know, it can it can be as easy it can be as easy as someone saying, "Oh, you know, I really need I if I could just meet so-and-so, it would be great. And you can go, you know what? I know them. I'll be happy to send you both an email and introduce you. That's huge value. You know, you're not saying I can open this door for you and I can get shit done for you. That's not what you're saying. You're just saying, this is what I can do. This will bring value to you. I, I think it's enormous. I am where I am today because people did that for me all along the way. And it's funny, though, too, I guess, you know, the, the punchline to it is you never, you never stop to think how valuable you can be to somebody. You know, it just kind of organically happens. And that's when it's, you know, that's when it's a beautiful thing, for sure. That is when the magic happens. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, let's talk about what are you doing? What are you doing now? What's the big thing? I know that you are an author and uh, you've written the, the incredibly impressive, uh, the seven stupid mistakes people make trying to get into the music industry, which 
if we have another conversation, I want to go over those seven things. But um, what are you doing now? What's what is your prize project? I've actually got a few. So uh, oddly enough, so so my relationship with Macy's, I am considered with them. I'm, I'm my job is I am a celebrations consultant and a style expert. They call me a style expert. I don't really refer to it as that, but but I guess I kind of am, you know. But anyway. So that's fun because it, it's totally uncharted territory. Um, the other thing that's fun is I am working with four or five different clients who are emerging artists, and I'm getting to kind of live vicariously through them. I'm also able to add value to them by, you know, when a situation comes up for them, they ask me about it, and I can tell them, I don't really necessarily tell them what to do, but I tell them what happened with me when I was facing a, a, that kind of opportunity. And whether, whether it went good or bad for me, it brings value to them because then they can make a, a valid judgment on, on what they want to do. The other thing that's really fun is that I'm doing is I have fallen in love with the piano again. For about 10 years, I used to walk by my grand piano in the house and I would never even stop, never sit down. One day I walked past it and I heard it talking to me and it said, you need to sit down. And so now I play every day and that's really fun. Um, also, 30 years ago, before I moved to Nashville, I was, I was playing in bands pretty much full time. Well, recently, a band that I was in in Virginia, which still plays about 15 dates a year, reached out to me because their lead singer was sick. And the band leader said, well, I know you're spending some time up here. You know, how would you feel about playing? I said, well, you know, I don't, I don't see how it could possibly go wrong. I've only done it twice in the last 30 years. What could possibly go wrong? So he said, no worries. You know, we got the lyrics, everything. So I am actually playing in a band about once a month, which is tremendously, it's just so much fun. And, you know, I, I got to say this, and I know that you know this because you did this. And I'm sure that you were aware of this too. You know, when we're when you're playing a gig, you got so much going on in your mind that you that you stop you don't stop to think about the real thing that's happening. And the real thing that's happening is the exchange from you to the audience. You are giving joy to the audience. How cool is that? I mean, you know, whatever you're doing on stage, if it's entertaining somebody, you are bringing joy into somebody's life. That's mind blowing to me. And so, yeah, those are the, I guess, the top three or four things that are fun in my life right now. Yeah, there is really nothing that compares, in my opinion, to that feeling. Yeah. Um, I have two daughters now. I have a six-year-old and a two-year-old. Mm -hmm. and they are absolutely incredible and easily as me just picking up the guitar and just playing here and then them running around the corner and just peeking their heads around and, and looking and smiling even even that type of engagement but when you go to a gig and you get to just make people smile it's really it's hard to beat i i, I completely agree well let's talk about songwriters and artists we have a lot of songwriters and artists who listen to this podcast and who reach out yeah. to me um and i want to talk about the work that you do with them specifically let's okay. talk about you know what services do you provide 
those folks and how, how are you providing value to those people? A couple of ways. And I appreciate you asking. I appreciate you letting me talk about that. So I work as a consultant and a song plugger with independent songwriters who don't have access. Typically my clients, the large portion of my clients do not live in Nashville. And as you well know, it's nearly impossible for a songwriter outside of town to get somebody in A&R or a producer or a manager or an artist to listen to a song. So going back to the network that we've built over the years, I have built a network where I know artists, managers, producers, label people, uh, tour managers, bus drivers, even whatever it takes. And so um, I have clients all over the country, actually all over the world, who hire me as a song plugger. And they'll send me their music. And if I feel like there is a market for it, they can hire me and I pitch those songs. In addition to that, I also offer them like a song, like a, a, a music publisher does before they go and spend $500 or $600 on a demo. I let them play me the song. We go through a critiquing process. I let them know whether I think it's worthy for them to A, go ahead and do a full-blown demo, or B, just do a guitar vocal, because there are situations where that will work too. So I do a whole lot of that. I work with some lyricists. I work with songwriters who are actually producers as well. Um, and and Again, the biggest thing that I'm able to bring to them is I got two ears and one mouth, and I try to use them accordingly. I try to listen more than I talk to them. And, and you know, so far so good. I've been very fortunate and have been able to work with some great clients and get some great songs cut. That's an incredibly important service. And I don't think a lot of songwriters, especially new, you know, green songwriters, understand song plugging that's something that isn't typically talked about a lot but it's an incredibly vital piece of the songwriting music industry puzzle so let's go over that one more time explain to our audience what is a song plugger and what do they do okay it's it's really easy but before i get there i do want to say it this way too and i know that you know that because i've heard you talk about this it's, it's so interesting and really mind-boggling that somebody will spend all their money on doing a demo and not think about the fact of what they're going to do with it afterwards. You know, and nine times out of ten, it ends up in the top drawer or the bottom drawer of the desk, stays there. Well, guess what? That's not doing anybody any good. Okay. But so what I always tell writers is don't forget that you need to have a marketing budget. And a marketing budget in in the song market is to have a song plugger who is essentially it used to be called a middleman. Well, you know, a middleman didn't always have the best connotation, you know, because advertisers will go, you can cut out the middleman. Here we go, direct to the consumer. So I don't tell people anymore that I'm a middleman. I tell people I am a connector. In fact, I tell people I am the connector. Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book a few years back called The Tipping Point. And he talks about different classes of people, mavens, connectors, and they are people who know a lot of people within a certain industry. And they're in the habit of introducing people within that industry. That's what I do. I take songs from Reg Houston, who lives in, in uh, the Northern California, and I get them in front of people in Nashville. 
chances are he would never be able to do that. And, you know, and, and I work with Mike Greenlee in New York City, same thing, you know, and, and I was fortunate enough with him that through my network and my connections, Mike Greenlee got to write the lyrics to the new state song for the state of Virginia. So for the rest of his life and beyond, he is the author of that song. And, you know, pretty cool stuff. And again, it, it was because he's here, the, the target's over here, I'm in the middle and I can help. So that's essentially what a song plugger does. Well, it's an incredibly vital piece of the puzzle. And, you know, I think that we have really kind of come full circle with the importance of making connections and building your network. I agree. Yeah, no, I, (laughs) I totally agree because it's not what, you know, it's who, you know, and I don't mean that to sound sarcastic and I don't mean that to sound cold, but it is your network. And again, going back to your early, earlier conversation about value, the value that I can bring to my clients is very simple. I cannot guarantee that I can get a song cut, but I can guarantee that I can get that song a good listen by a decision maker in the business. And that's good. The majority of my musical background is in rock music. So it's a little different. There's not so much of a songwriter publisher, you know, mechanism like there is in country music. And I wish someone still would have told me about the importance of networking. We just went out there and just pumped it. We're just playing anywhere, doing anything, but we were so concerned with getting to the gig, playing the show, and then getting to the next gig. We didn't have that mentality of, maybe we should probably go talk to the agent. Maybe we should go build a relationship with this bar manager. Maybe we should... uh, invest in you know building out an additional day to go maybe meet with some radio folks i mean we we made those mistakes early on and i can completely attest to the importance of networking and building that network or working with people like yourself who have that network it's invaluable well thank you for that and i appreciate that but i will tell you you know you did get that message you maybe didn't get it early enough. And, and same with me. I mean, I wish I would become, I wish I had known this whole enlightenment thing when I was 20 years old. I didn't. I learned it over time. But with your story about Jill Moody, obviously you understood the value of a network. And, but, and the bonus to it is you never knew when that was going to come back. And then when it did, total cool moment for you, Faust, Moody, Total cool moment. And, and I would also wager to say it was a totally cool moment for Jill Moody, too, because all the good vibes that you sent to her early on in the flowers and all that, you know, whatever, um, she was able to pay you back by connecting you with people who, could, who you could write great songs with and move your career forward. That's what it's all that. In fact, if there's a great story about networking that I'm going to steal and I'm going to share with people from now on, it is the Christopher Faust, Jill Moody story, because it's that's perfect. It says it all. Well, please share away. (laughs) I will. Well, let's talk a little bit. Let's this is let's go ahead and move into what is my personal favorite part of this show. Mm -hmm. And it is the part where we get to talk about 
actionable items. And when I started this podcast, one of the primary reasons I started this podcast was I was listening to a lot of music business, podcasts, video blogs, and it was a lot of motivation, a lot of inspiration, which is important. Don't get me wrong. But there wasn't a lot of actionable content. There wasn't a lot of like, hey, go try this. Go do this. Now, that's not giving away anyone's secret sauce per se, but that's what I wanted to provide people in the music industry or people who wanted to get into the music industry. So every guest on this show, I'll ask them to provide three actionable items that someone can listen to this podcast and immediately go put into play. And I would love to hear what are Chris Keaton's three actionable items to move your career forward in the music industry. Okay. Number one, don't be afraid to suck. And what I mean by that is don't be afraid to do something that is just the worst thing possible that you could do. But then the, the, the A to B to that is the B section of that is get back up and brush yourself off and keep moving forward. This is a business of action. You can know everything in the world. You know, it's like there's the old joke that, you know, uh, how many guitar players does it take to play a great solo? You got to have one to play the solo and 35 to stand in the back of the room and go, I could have done that. You know, you don't want to be, sorry, but you know what I'm saying? No, I, you know I, those I, 35 guys. I do. Yeah. But so don't be one of those 35 guys. He's got on stage who plays through a broken string and just keeps going. You know, don't be afraid to suck. That's the first thing. The second thing is don't forget that being great and talented is never enough. It just is not enough. I could name you a hundred people who I've met through my career who are the most mind blowing, face melting musicians you have ever, never heard of because they go play a gig and they go home and sulk. Now, and I probably shouldn't say it that way, even though, even if they don't sulk, even if they do sulk, they still need to have line themselves up with somebody who can, who can blow their horn, who can talk about, it. you know, so it's like being great and being exceedingly talented is never enough. You still have to have either in yourself enough to stand up and go, Hey, I can do that. Or reach out to somebody that you can say, Hey, would you go tell that guy that I can do that? It's just, it's super, super important. So that's two. Number one is don't be afraid to suck. Number two, either blow your own horn or get somebody who can blow it for you. Um, and the third one is stay in the here and now. Be in this moment right here. The past, you're never going to change, but you can learn from it. The future, you have no idea what it's going to bring. You have to stay right here, do the best you can possibly do right now, and be the best person you can be and shine your own light brightly every minute of every day. Those are some incredible actionable items, especially number three. I really, that really resonates with me. It's part of the human condition and it's hard to do and it takes practice, but yeah. man, be in the here and be in the now. We talked about it with, with our kids, right? Like yeah. 
experience that moment and don't worry about anything else but that moment. And a really great story that Bradley told me, uh, and there's a great episode that Bradley is on. If you're a songwriter, Mm -hmm. I highly suggest you go listen to it. But Bradley talks about one of the most important things that he learned, especially when he was uh, a a music executive and not songwriting full-time, is that when he would go to a show and he would talk to someone, he said it'd be really easy to get distracted about all the other people that he thinks he should talk to, but the only one that really matters is the person right there in front of him, right there, right now. I mean, that is like, and you know what? That's why Bradley has done so well, and that's why he will continue to do well. He, he, you know, he values people, and that's exceptional. I mean, that's like really, really great. Well, Chris, thank you so much for joining us on the Do That Music Thing podcast today. Dude, you're awesome. I mean, I really appreciate this opportunity, and once again, I have to say it as we sit down south. Thank you. Thank you. I was going to say something else and it was, it was exceedingly brilliant, but it's just gone away. So maybe if you have me on another edition of the podcast, I'll come up with, with something even more profound to say. Well, we will definitely make that happen. Chris, thank you so, so much. Listen, thank you. And I really appreciate it. And, and listen, anybody out there that wants to reach out to me, I'm very easy to find Chris at chriskeaton.com is my email. ChrisKeaton.com is my website. I'm on Facebook and Instagram, but don't follow me on Instagram because it's like it's crazy stuff over there. But anyway, thank you, man. I really appreciate you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Do That Music Thing podcast. To learn more about me, the host, Christopher Faust, you can catch me online at ChristopherFaust.com, on Instagram, at Chris Faust Music or on Twitter at Chris James GTR. If you'd like to be a guest on the Do That Music Thing podcast, please feel free to email me at ChrisFaustMusic at gmail.com. If you're a fan of the show, head on over and leave us a five-star review. Thanks for listening. I'm Chris Faust. Let's go do that music thing. <laughs>